Moncrief on News Talk. Time to look outside our own borders uh, as we always do on a Tuesday. Jonathan de Burke Butler joins us once again. Afternoon, John. Sean, how are you getting? Not too bad. Uh, right, uh, Malawi we're going to go to first and this is, this is a court case involving dreadlocks. It is a court case involving dreadlocks and uh, two students with dreadlocks or former students with dreadlocks. Um, it involves a high court in Malawi and they have directed the Ministry for Education to allow students with dreadlocks to be enrolled in public schools. So obviously from that you can draw the conclusion that up until now they weren't allowed into public schools. Hmm. Um, and that's because there was a policy in the Ministry of Education of having a, what they described as a uniformity amongst students, right? So they wanted them all to all look the same. And for that part, then uh, you weren't allowed to have long hair or dreadlocks, right? So short hair was the only way forward. And obviously, back in 2010 and 2016, I should say as well, which is when these two Rastafarian kids brought this case to to uh, the courts okay, in Malawi. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that's it because this isn't just about fashion. Then there's a religious aspect. Oh to yes, this. absolutely. Yes. And that was the that was the case. So the, the, it goes back, as I said, there's two kids, 2010, 2016. They were stopped from going into yeah. school, right, because of their dreadlocks. Okay, and that was the uh, on the surface, that's what it was anyway. But there's always a sort of subtle sort of, um, uh, not racism, yeah, yeah but, but yeah, absolute discrimination, yeah. sorry, going yeah. on there as well, right? There's about 15,000 Rastafarians in Malawi, Malawi's population about 20 million in total. So they're not always uh, looked upon uh, with, with, with the, in the greatest terms, all right, or, or treated in the, in the best manner. So anyway, they took this case and in 2020, they in, obtained an injunction through human rights organisations who took it on their behalf. And then after that, they filed a suit seeking to have the children brought into school. And obviously, they went down that constitutional route, right? So they said, uh, and they argued that the Ministry of Education was acting in an unlawful and unconstitutional manner because they were violating their rights of, of freedom of religion and education and the right not to be discriminated against based on their religion as well. So the co- High Court has finally found in their favour and off to school they'll go, although seven years on from the last case that was brought in 2016, I'd say they're probably out of college at this stage. Uh, they're certainly a bit behind. They uh, would they be. Would. Right. Yeah, but, though I suppose it might be interesting if there are other further yeah. ramifications well, of this in the, terms the, of... This is the thing, Sean. Yeah, sorry to cut you off there. Um, this is the thing. I mean, it is obviously going to affect other children that come behind them. But also, I believe that Rastafarians can't apply for government jobs either. Ah. So this will probably set a precedent in that, in that regard and uh, maybe another case will come from that. Uh, so we'll see how it goes. But an interesting case. Yeah, right. Tunisia we're going to go to next. And this is, it's at a synagogue this was shoot, uh, the shooting took place. Yeah, lots of surprises yeah. and, and awful surprises in this particular story. So there's a little island called Jerba, which is on the southeast of uh, Tunisia, right? It's, it's, it's nearly closer to Libya than it would be to Tunis, to mm. be honest with you, okay? And for a very long time, uh, the Jewish population of Tunisia, which at its peak numbered about 5,000, but is now down to about 1,500, lived on this particular island, right? There was Muslims living on the island as well. And from what I can gather uh, thus far is that they lived fairly harmoniously with each other. And this was a place where people would come on a pilgrimage. There was a temple there called the Jerba Synagogue which has been there in one form or another for about 2,000 years, right, since the time of the Romans, right? So they've been coming over and back, very special place. And at the beginning of May, for the guts of a week, this pilgrimage happens every year. Now, unfortunately, on the last day of, the last official day of this pilgrimage, May the 10th, there was a shooting, okay? A man, uh, a naval officer of all people, 
shot a colleague of his in a, 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 where the, the two of them were posted. He stole his guns and his ammunition and he went, he took a half an hour trip from that naval uh, station where he was based to this synagogue and opened fire randomly on people. Now, he ended up killing two other security guards and two visitors who happened to be cousins, both of whom were Jewish. And um, he was then shot himself. Now, he could have done an awful lot more damage if the security services hadn't responded. But that place was already... uh, uh, you know, covered in security because of a bombing that was done there in 2002 in which 20, uh, 21 or 22 people were killed. Al-Qaeda claimed that one. So it has been a place that has known violence before. It's not 100% unexpected, I suppose, that something like this might happen here. But remarkably, the president, President Saeed, who's been around for a while now and seems to be getting a bit nuttier by the, by the, by the day, uh, came out and said that there was no evidence this was anti-Semitic. And I find that a bizarre thing to say, given that the guy got on a quad bike from where he was and travelled that half an hour that I mentioned. Yes. And yeah. then went to, to this, a, synagogue. a very specific yeah. spot to carry this attack out. Yeah. Officially, there's no motive yet, but it, it has to be seen as an anti-Semitic attack. I mean, there's no other way yeah. of looking at uh, it. I suppose maybe he's trying to dial down that aspect of it. For, it absolutely. For whatever that, reason. For his own internal problems, I would imagine, absolutely. And uh, he, he, that's fair enough, but I, I think it's very hard to deny it. Right. Yeah. Uh, Serbia, we're going to go to next, where uh, this is a, a weapons amnesty. Yeah, weapons amnesty. You remember that there was a terrible shooting, in two terrible shootings, in fact, in Serbia, uh, just um, what well, must be about 10 days ago now, at this stage, I think it was on the 5th or 6th of May, uh, you remember that the first shooting was carried out by a 13-year-old boy who went into a school and, and shot dead mm. a number of people. In fact, the um, the, the uh, number of deaths has gone up from 9 to 10 as of yesterday. A girl died in hospital. Uh, and then the following day, a 20-year-old uh, went into his own local village and attacked people and, and he killed killed more people, eight people, I believe, in that particular case. And, and the reason I wanted to look at this, even though the story has kind of passed a little bit, is because we hear about these shootings in America and, and you know, we get these debates about gun laws and that kind of thing and nobody ever seems to take action. But in Serbia, they have, right? So yeah. they, they've already, you know, they've brought in all sorts of different measures. So they've put a ban on new gun licenses. They've put stricter controls on gun owners, shooting rangers, uh, shooting ranges, sorry, and tougher punishment for illegal possession of weapons. But they've always also brought in this amnesty, right? And so far, 13,500 weapons have been handed in in the first eight days. Look, it's a country that's absolutely awash with guns, mainly because of the war between 91 and 98, the Yugoslav Wars, obviously. They're not going to get rid of all of them, Mm. but at least they're doing something about it to some extent. Yes. Um, Now, this amnesty is going to last until the 8th of June, so it's going to run for a whole month. And then after that, people who are found with illegal weapons are going to get very uh, stiff prison sentences if, if, if found in possession. So yeah. they're doing something about it. Yeah, but of course, one of those shootings, at least, was with illegal. Uh, was with, with I, think, I yeah. think it was with illegal gun. Yeah. The, the second one, I think, yeah. uh, I think the father of the child, because yeah. he was a child, 13-year-old, has been arrested for holding an illegal weapon. Uh, but the second one might have been a legal weapon, all right, yeah. Yeah, okay. And is, is there a political aspect, to, 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 if you like, into the fallout of, uh, of those two tragedies? It, it, it's gone that way. And, and it's interesting because the president, who's been around for a long time now, Alexander Vucic, who's seen as a bit of a nationalist and, and, and was for a very long time quite right-wing, he seems to be softening a little bit now. I think he's probably scared of Russia uh, and wants to 
you know, come back towards the European Union. Um, but it, it, the opposition are taking the opportunity to say that he is a divisive character and they're bringing people out onto the streets to say that, you know, he caused this or he's causing tension within the country and there's all this violent rhetoric around mm. the way that he operates. Now, he's denying that. And um, there have been called for elections and the rumour is that there might be an early election called. I mean, they only had one in uh, April of last year, I think, where Vucic, he lost a good few seats, all right, but he still won mm. with a fairly decent majority. So he, he might be fairly confident of coming back again. And he's just playing to the gallery here by saying, OK, well, I'll hold an election if you're not happy and we'll see how divisive politics is in the country. Okay. He's probably expecting to return to power with, with a, a decent majority again. Right, Italy we're going to go to uh, next and uh, uh, 61 uh, arrests of uh, suspected uh, members of a particular mafia organisation. Yeah, the Indrangheta as they're called. I don't know, you haven't seen The Good Mothers on Netflix by any chance? I haven't, no. I highly recommend it. It's excellent Italian drama that describes uh, really well what goes on within the Indrangheta. Anyway, for those people who've seen it, they'll know a little bit what I'm talking about. So this organisation uh, from Calabria, they've been around since the late 18th century. 1792 is the date that they're Crikey. given <laughs> since they've been exist uh, since they've been in existence. So they they consist of about 150 different families. Okay, but they've grown a lot since the 1970s and 1890s when they sort of stayed in Italy and they've become a real international organisation now, right? So in Italy last week, 61 suspected members of that particular group were arrested in a sting in various different regions of the country. But that follows on from 100 arrests that were made about two weeks previously throughout Europe. So there was Mm -hmm. arrests in Germany, Portugal, Spain, Belgium, various other countries as well. So there seems to be a real crackdown going on in the Indrangheta at the moment uh, and uh, it'll be interesting to see how it develops and how it affects other criminal organisations both within Europe and within South America with whom they have connections. So uh, it's a a big development. Yeah. In a way, it's kind of whack-a-mole. You know, every now and again they arrest dozens or three people and... It yeah. doesn't seem to affect anything that dramatically. <laughs> not, really. not dramatically because they have people, you know, just in behind them who come in and because of that tight fit family unit and the way that it works mm. and it's very well organised, um, they are able to to bring more people on board. Um, but, you know, there's a, there's a trial going on at the moment involving 321 people in, in one big trial. Uh, that were all members on the Entrangita that were, were were arrested a good few years ago. So this is just adding another, what, 162 to that mix. My word. Right, uh, the United States, we're going to go to finally, and uh, a man who threatened a dictionary. A man who threatened a dictionary, at yeah. least the publishers of that dictionary. Uh, you'll, you'll know them well, Merriam-Webster dictionaries, mm. um, and they're based in Massachusetts, as far as I know. So this particular man, Jeremy Hansen, a 35-year-old, he's been sentenced to one year in prison for making what they're calling interstate transmissions of threatening. That's what he did. So basically what he did was he got in touch with them through their contact form, the actual form on their website. And so where you have to leave your name and your email address. So Mm. he didn't make it difficult for himself to be handed down. And what his problem was, was he wasn't particularly happy with the uh, new entries that they had for the definitions of girl, woman and female, right? Those kinds of entries, because they, I'll quote him if you if you don't mind. Mm. He said, it's absolutely sickening that Merriam-Webster now tells blatant lies and promotes anti-science propaganda. There is no such thing as gender identity. 
That probably wouldn't have got him into trouble, but the next line probably did. The imbecile who wrote this entry should be hunted down and shot. Uh, he then went on to make a series of bomb threats uh, that that uh, basically led to the offices being closed down for a number of days. And they took this quite seriously, uh, apparently. So they were quite disturbed by it and, uh, mm-hmm. and, and, and and a bit terrified as well. Was it just uh, dictionaries he, he threatened or, or, or was no, it more, he, more widespread? No, he, he has a history of threatening organisations that he sort of disagrees with. So the, the American Civil Liberties Union, uh, Amnesty International have all got threats. And there was, I think, a, a professor in a university in, in Texas that was threatened also. Uh, because he's a, he's a he's a champion of transgender rights and that kind of thing, and he doesn't like that. Yeah, he actually told him that he ought to be shot in the head and have his offices set on fire. So right. an unpleasant individual who's yeah. now going to be in prison for a year. But a real man, uh, nonetheless. Absolutely. Uh, right. What should we uh, look out for over the next week or so, Jonathan? Yeah. So on Friday, uh, there's the summit of the G7 leaders in Japan, in Hiroshima, in Japan. Hmm. Sunday, there's elections in Greece. I think there's elections in East Timor as well. Watch out for that runoff in Turkey, which yeah. isn't happening this weekend, but the following weekend. But it's going to be very interesting to see how that goes. And then there's a story from Thailand. Um, there was elections there on Sunday as well. And big surprise was that the opposition actually won the elections there. But nobody really knows yet whether they're going to actually be leading the government. Because, of course, there's kind of a puppet government there yeah, that's run yeah. by the by the military. So I think that's going to start hitting headlines fairly soon in the next few days. Um, worth watching out for. Jonathan, thanks a million. Thanks, As sir. ever, Jonathan de Burke There you are listening to the Moncrief Show on News Talk. Moncrief, weekdays at 2 p.m. on News Talk.